Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose, and what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by Peloton yoga and meditation instructor and Puma athlete, Aditi Shah. Stay tuned. So it's not a new challenge, but I often wonder, can we find ways to motivate and nourish ourselves in the moment and keep up with what's current while also integrating our richly rooted philosophies and deep traditions? And speaking of what's current, thank you all for listening to the show and for sharing Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing with your friends, for rating, downloading, and subscribing to the podcast at your favorite outlets, and for following us on social media at Dr. Abhaydarndekar. Now take yoga and meditation. They've always been an integral part of my own life. My grandparents, my parents, and many family members have been practitioners, proponents, and teachers of the science and philosophy. The struggle for me, and for many, is weaving this into a daily practice. And it's definitely challenging to find new vehicles and ambassadors that offer access, expertise, and a trustworthy passport to both enter and stay in a successful zone. Well, thankfully, yoga and meditation instructor Aditi Shahab has been helping many, many students to find joy and synchronize tradition and creativity into their daily lives. Aditi is a highly sought-after instructor on the popular Peloton platform and a Puma brand athlete. Now, growing up in New Jersey and visiting India often, she was certainly exposed to yoga and its many cultural tentacles, but she refined this relationship and her own innate love of yoga through experiences learning and living in Mumbai and then New York City. And in 2018, she helped launch Peloton Yoga and Meditation, now with hundreds of her personalized classes on the menu. Her style amplifies traditional philosophy and modern storytelling, being respectful and representative, and nurturing guidance for all learners, including herself. We caught up for a conversation about this journey, and I asked her whether her own experiences as an instructor have made her more self-aware as a learner. That's such an interesting question. So I think what's really interesting, especially about the modalities that I teach, which are yoga and meditation, I also teach Pilates, but it, with yoga and meditation specifically, they're so personal and they're so self-reflective that I think it's one of those things, the more that you do it, the more that you know that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. And so there's this commitment to just lifelong learning, but at the same time as an instructor, there's this requirement and understanding that I can only teach from my own experience. Sure. And as far as being a learner, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty eager learner. I, so, I mean, I think we have all evolved, right? We all, I'm sure that the kind of doctor or patient that you are now is not the same way that you were when you began your practice or began learning. And I think for this, in, in the same way, I feel now I'm much more, I've always been really curious. So I've always been like, want to 
push back and ask some questions, not just take things as they're given to me. But I think I have a little bit more space and understanding for also just like, you know, letting people um, have their own space (laughs) around whatever and whatever, like however they'd like to move through these practices and just sort of feeling like I can also be in ownership of my own space as far as both learning and teaching. Let me ask you this. I mean, in your own progress as an instructor, as a learner, how do you deal with setbacks and frustrations? And and for, for that matter, you know, how's that perhaps made you change your strategy at all as a coach or as a motivator? I have a few different strategies around this. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, one of these is really like such a meditation strategy I'm going to tell this story, and this is not a story that I've made up, but I'm going to put my twist on it. So sure. the story, I was like six or so, I think, and my family, we were going on a hiking trip. And we were, going, we were in the Adirondacks overlooking Lake George, and it was one of those hikes that sort of goes up and comes back down the same way. So not like a round-trip hike. And it went up, and you know, we, we climbed up, we ate our lunches, we looked at the view. And my older brother, he's like 12 and a half years older than me, so he's like you know, more able than I was. And he was kind of like curious if there was a different way down because there were a lot of different trails in the area. And my dad was like, my dad is terrified of heights. So he was like, really not trying to let my brother do anything. My mom was like, okay, yeah, go, go explore a little bit. And so he wandered off and then we waited and waited and he, he disappeared, you know, like we, we had to go back down because it was going to get dark and we reported him lost my dad turned to my mom and was like, this is your fault. You're a, yeah. you're a bad mother. Okay, that, that didn't really happen. My dad didn't say that. But if I said that that's what, what my mom said to herself, if that was like her inner dialogue, we would yeah. all totally believe that. And that is yeah. this demonstration of this concept called the second arrow. The first arrow is the pain that life delivers us. Because honestly, it's just, look, if you're living you're going to experience pain. That's just, that's being human. Sure. And the second arrow is the way that we relate to that pain. So we can either yeah. accept that pain and do our best with it, or we can beat ourselves. You know, there's a lot of different ways we relate to that that are causing ourselves more suffering. By the way, my brother is fine. He slipped. He, he fell on some leaves. He got rescued by mountain climbers. My parents yeah. are great. My dad would never say that to my mom, but, okay, you know, just good. for the sake of the story. <laughs> so like, that's one thing is like the second arrow is like just knowing, I think that, part of life, and I wasn't always great at this, but part of life is going to be falling down. And it's a lot easier to get back up and progress if you're not carrying the weight of that shame or self-judgment or like beating yourselves up, right? I'm not the mistake. I'm a human. I made a mistake, right? And that allows us to sort of grow and learn. Also, I really believe, I just really believe you can reinvent yourself as many times as you want to. Yeah. in this life, you know, we're, we're living a lot longer. And I don't yeah. think that we have to necessarily stick to the plans that we originally make for ourselves. Cause you know, we, we sort of sometimes map out our lives and when we map out our lives, we're at a certain place, obviously, hopefully we're all growing and evolving and then maybe you need to change that roadmap. So yeah. I really believe that we should, and we can, and we should. So yeah, no, that that's great. And I mean, it's hard that you, I'm glad you mentioned that, like, that's, that's something that you probably share during your classes in person, etc. Because it's so hard to do as like a eight, eight second reel to really get across to <laughs> sure. somebody, right? I, I was just gonna say, you know, with social media, and the way that a lot of this is presented, 
it, it certainly often appears a lot more like the glittery highlight reel. And it's hard to actually like manage and navigate through setbacks like that. Do, do you have to remind people sometimes of the amount of rigor and sort of deep introspection and practice that's involved in, in your own lived journey and, and the capacity to kind of get back up, reinvent yourself, refresh, evolve towards sort of more expertise? So it's interesting because I heard you say the word rigor and I like really want to push back against that. But Please. I understand yeah. also. I, I used to be a person that was very, let's, I had a lot of rigor, right? Like I yeah. was very structured, had a lot of rules, you know, always practiced, always perfect, etc. And as I have evolved, I've really found a lot more space for play, for creativity. And I think that's actually a part of giving yourself this capacity to get back up, right? So I think if, if everything is so black and white, it's a lot harder to then have the space to be like, okay, I, I'm human, right? Because you're either like, I either did it or didn't do it. I'm the mistake or I'm not the mistake. And so that's just me pushing back against that word. Sorry, I guess the way I was thinking about that was that if people were to only take the social media stuff at face value, they perhaps wouldn't see the amount of introspection and the deep sort of thought um, and reflection that you are you put yes, into no, this expertise. I totally hear what you're saying. And I think that I agree with you. You know, I don't share a lot of this on social media because... I don't know that it's quite as helpful. Yeah. Um, I think that this is helpful in the context of a practice. And I don't think a practice has to be perfect, but I do think it has to be sincere. It has to be consistent. And that's really all that I'm asking for. If you want to practice and learn, like that's really all that it, it is. I think I do make that pretty clear. Actually, yeah. what I do do on social media is I ask everyone every day, did you practice today? That's really about I me. know that. Every morning I wake <laughs> up, I practice do my little meditation and take a photo. I'm like, did you practice today? Because that's like the one thing that really is going to make a difference, right? It's not about, it's not about doing like a long retreat. It's really nothing more than just being consistent and being yeah. willing to be self-reflective and also knowing that every day is not going to be an amazing practice, whatever an amazing practice is. Like there really is no value judgment, but you know, some days they're going to feel better than others. And I think that's really what hopefully I'm able to convey to people. I don't think this conversation can go inevitably. It's sort of almost impossible to avoid this topic, but I have to ask you, do you as an Indian American, as a South Asian American, do you think or even respond differently when you hear Adho Mukha Shwanasan versus Downward Facing Dog? Do I think or respond differently? Um, I lived in India for a few years after, after college, and that's really where I dove into my yoga practice. Yeah. And then I moved or I came to New York City. I didn't know I was going to move here yet, but I came to New York City and I wanted to continue my practice. And I asked my you know teachers there where I should go here. And I was really... You know, it was certainly an experience for me, understanding and getting used to a, a Western yoga studios and practice. So, like, where I stand on what you call downward facing dog is I would hope that if you're teaching, you have an interest in the language of yoga. Yeah. And I understand that a lot of people do go to get educated 
and are miseducated, especially around pronunciation. So I have a, a lot of space for, you know, reserving judgment around that. I don't expect everyone to be perfect. I just hope that people are interested in learning more and uh, teachers specifically, but also students. But if you're going to be a, an instructor, I hope that you have a deep and lifelong interest in understanding not just the language, but the philosophy and a little bit of the history and more than yoga as just a movement practice. At the same time, you know, there are some wonderful people doing work around anti-appropriation. And I think, I think that's so necessary. I also think that there is no way for us to go back in time. Yeah. And it has evolved in many ways. And I think that the most we can do is really try to continue to be educators and supporters. Is it is it almost, you know, it's still democratized, right? It, it, it still needs to be accessible to, to everyone. And I'm curious, like, is it really difficult to maintain an industry and a brand and sort of a, an economy of this without sacrificing the stillness of yoga and the philosophy behind it and the as you see this grow and evolve what's the future of this discussion you've had some probably terrific you know insights from those who are very 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 much have an expertise in this philosophy and and the history behind it i can't for sure say what i think the future is um i can say that i have a lot of hope it really depends on who's telling the story sure and like I said about, you know, about like Sanskrit, it's like, I don't blame people for having been educated in a specific way that may, uh, I may or may not agree with, right? I mean, with that, it's a pronunciation thing. But with philosophy, it's really not. It's, it's more about different people coming from different lineages, different ways of understanding things, maybe religion, maybe not religion. So I personally, though, feel that there are some really incredible people doing incredible work around this. So there's this amazing philosophy professor that I study with and work with named Dr. Shyam Ranganathan. Um, he's actually a philosophy professor that sort of got into yoga and yoga philosophy. He offers so many free resources. We do a lot of Instagram, social media stuff for, for people to have, you know, some free education, but knowing that, you know, people like him are out there and creating these resources. Whereas when I got curious about yoga, I didn't have that. Like sure. if I did an internet deep dive, that didn't exist. I did end up finding a teacher, but I didn't really have, there was really no other choice for me. That's yeah. all there was, right? Yeah. It's like, I lived in India. I found a teacher. I had to, I got curious. I had to ask for more. That's basically it. Yeah. And I'm like really happy to know that there's a website, yogaphilosophy.com, where people can learn like a great deal about yoga for free. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of hope that things will evolve in maybe in two directions, maybe in the direction of people, you know, that want to just do like sort of yoga inspired, inspired fitness. And then in people who are more interested in learning more about the philosophy, what I think is so interesting about the philosophy is that it doesn't really have anything to do with the, the movement practice so much like the majority yeah. of it isn't about that so you can sort of do whatever you want with the movement practice as long as you're still paying attention to what yoga means aside from that you know i appreciate that i mean like i've i've heard and and listened to some of the work and i i love the concept of really anchoring and sovereignty and understanding that concept and for, i'm curious about one thing for you as you gain and gather more expertise and your audience grows and your they age also as they, they evolve, you know, as an audience, as learners. 
for fitness and yoga and meditation in, in your mind's eye, is it a juggle of sort of harnessing wellness or combating aging? Or is it just constantly the, the sort of struggle or balance between the two? Do they constantly integrate and, and merge? I don't really think about my classes as fitness. Sure. Even if there's like a focus on a specific movement, posture, whatever it is, I really think of these classes as a vehicle to help people feel and experience yoga. Like, yeah. but like behind the scenes yoga, right? So when it comes to aging, I think there's a lot of options, right? Like, I mean, certainly there are, there's a skill set you have to have to take a quote unquote intermediate level class, but I'm not, I don't think, I think a lot of my classes are pretty accessible. I also think we have a great variety of classes. I teach like chair yoga classes. There's yoga, yoga classes that are just on the floor. You know, there's, there's a lot of options. So I really certainly hope and I would love feedback if, if, you know, if, if, um, my classes are just aging anybody out, like, please let me know. Um, I'm, I'm so, I'm serious. You know, I, yeah. I want to be able to, to offer people what they need and what, what, and meet them where they are. And I, I really try. So yeah. as far as the wellness aspect goes, I think that, you know, this is a little bit on me, but also a little bit on the practitioner. Yeah. You know, from what you get back from your learners and your audience, do you find that their motivations change as they as they grow with you in that trying to get better at the practice, get um, deeper into it, while also co- almost combating that sort of aging process? I do think there's a really like common a really common phenomenon. It's really common, I think, in the yoga world that a lot of people will come to a yoga class for a specific reason. Like, let's get, I want to get more flexible. I want to balance out my running and then end up staying in a yoga practice for a lot longer because they're feeling something different. Right. And it's maybe they do feel better in their bodies, which is wonderful. And certainly also a part of wellness, but also they might feel more connected. They might feel all of these other sort of host of benefits that come, whether that's on a physical level or on other levels as well. It's funny you mentioned that because you can only get that from what people tell you as an instructor and like, you know, how they, what their motivations are and how they evolve and change. And do you ever feel like the work in this space is rather selfless as an instructor? Because the metrics always based on the performance or the activity of your of your learners. And without that feedback, you know, you may not have the kind of feedback loop to appreciate is your work making a difference? I think every job, every instructor's job at Peloton is and, and maybe every every yoga teacher's job, I can't say, but I can say certainly for myself and certainly for, I would say my teammates, you know, this is, it's a service job. Yeah. That's what the job is. We have this incredible community that we get to be a part of and that we also get to serve. And so much of what I do and what we all do is really try to figure out how we can best serve them. And it's wonderful to get feedback. It's also, you know, at the end of the day, important that we're doing what we think is best. So I think it goes sort of both ways, right? Yeah. Does does it help you make your own milestones to demonstrate your own success? Does it help you help you set your own goals based upon that feedback or, or is that measured by something else for yourself? It's hard because you can't really measure. I don't think it's hard to like measure feedback, right? It's hard to measure like X amount of people feel this way. 
right. or I, you know, that, that's really hard. And, and also really my interaction with the community right now, actually our studio is opening finally again, which is incredible. So we have people in classes and, and that's always so just like, so nice to actually see people, but yeah, real um, relationship development, right? Yeah. But, you know, for the past few years, it's also just, and and even when the studio opens, there's a lot of people that aren't going to make it to the New York city studio. So a lot of my interactions are, are just social media. Not everybody has social media. So it's very hard for me to, I don't use that feedback as necessarily a measure of, um, my success or my service. Yeah. I I'm, I'm happy to receive it, but, and and I do think it's important, but I also, and I am always sort of asking people like, let me know, you know, I, I, cause I do want to hear, but at the same time, I don't, I think it's just too hard because there's, it's not really measurable. Yeah. So, so Um, how do you measure your own for yourself? How do you know that, um, whether your work is resonating or for yourself, how do you guide yourself and, and have that kind of self-assurance and confidence and trust even that, you know, Hey, I feel good about what I'm doing. So I think there's a, I think there's a few different things here. I'm lucky to have an entire team around me that I can also run things by that I can get feedback from that. I can understand, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And aside from my actual like team as the people producing classes and my teammates, uh, there is yes, the community that also gives me feedback, which is also incredible. So all of that is helpful in knowing, is this resonating? I also think there's some part of, one, my teachers. Like, I trust my teachers. I trust in the experiences that I've had working with my teachers. And for me, being a teacher of something like this, that is so personal and self-reflective, it's a matter of integrity and a matter of sharing those really personal experiences, which can be really vulnerable. But at the same time, I think that's also a part of it. Like a part of being of service is being willing to be vulnerable and say like, I'm teaching from my own experience. And I, I hope that it resonates, but it's got to resonate with other people or some, some other people because we're all humans. Right. So like, I know other people are having the same experiences as me. I think like it's a lot harder to know if something resonates or not, if you're sort of making it up and a lot easier to feel like this, this has to resonate with somebody because I felt this, right? Yeah. I also think part of it is, is time. Sure. Uh, when I began teaching meditations, I did feel that it was deeply vulnerable. I was nervous, you know, I, I was, yeah. it felt really uncomfortable. And so I would type out every word of what I wanted to say <laughs> for like a 10 minute meditation. Yeah. And I'd have to have it there to read it because I really was, I was, it just felt a little scary. Yeah. And it really helped in those, you know, back then I was definitely in a room full of people and it helped to know that like the things that I was feeling and then saying were obviously affecting other people as well, or they were having similar experiences they could understand. Since then, you know, meditating in, in groups or I've, I've been on retreats, like that kind of stuff also helps you to realize like a little bit like, yeah, okay, like we're all going through the same right, thing. Right. There's an authenticity to that. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really interested in being super authentic. That I think also just makes me feel over time a little bit more, I wouldn't necessarily say comfortable, but you know, I feel like, okay, like I, I hope this resonates because I know that it's true for me. 
your you know expertise especially online and then certainly you know in in large groups is one that is you would imagine that there there's a, a confidence and a trust that has to come from that ex- experience but in thinking about yoga and meditation and the work that you do surely a lot of this magic if you will uh, for lack of a better word happens kind of in stillness and in your own sort of like self-reflection and your breath exercises and so in this mix of something that's very public and very uh, open and out there do, do you personally ever just crave anonymity and privacy and silence when you practice or when you're trying to do that self-reflection i mean i have my own practice that is not public <laughs> right and that is crucial to me as a human and also me as a student and also me as a teacher so i have my own practice at home and with a teacher and i'm interested in continuing to learn and i think all of those things that i do on my own contribute to me being able to teach on camera when i teach on camera you know i wouldn't call that my practice right it certainly is physical and yeah. i'm certainly in it with the community but there's also this aspect of holding space for others as opposed to just holding space for yourself and and does that does that anchor you differently as you've gone through this journey as an instructor in that space um yeah and i think it's really important so you know when i began teaching i I, I did a lot of other things. And one of the reasons that I did a lot of other things was because I didn't want to end up teaching 20 classes a week and then losing my own practice or not, or sort of losing interest in my own practice. And so I didn't teach, I didn't teach very much. Right. And I think that really helped me to maintain my ability to keep learning and growing and maintain an interest and, and commitment to my practice. And I do think that's really anchoring. And I think it's okay. Like for our practices to evolve, you know, I have, yeah. I have teachers that have been practicing for so, so many years that are now learning like a new kind of yoga, like went yeah. to a different school, trying something new. You know, if you're not practicing at all, where is your teaching coming from? I don't just don't know. I don't know how I personally would be able to teach if I didn't do that. You're a you know, top instructor of Peloton. You're a Puma athlete. And so to, to a degree, this has already happened from sort of that affirmation. But what have been kind of some of the accelerators to help you cultivate trust? Sure. So I think there's a few, again, like I have seven answers to all your questions. No, um, I just feel like I, you know, if you ask a question, it sparks like these, uh, like all these different things inside That's of me. That's what this so, is all about. Yeah. <laughs> I think what's so interesting is there's a few aspects. One is being vulnerable and authentic, right? If you want people to trust you, you're going to have to like give them something. You have to be open. You have to, you have to be willing to give them something to trust. Right. Two, I think you have to be consistent. So you have to show up over and over again because it takes time to build trust. And three, I think it's, okay, I'm going to say three and four. Three, I think there's this aspect of doing what you say you're going to do because I always think about how do you build trust with yourself? It's like, you know, you have to keep your promises to yourself. That's how you build trust and confidence within yourself too. So like that's the same for other people. And lastly, I think is being honest, like really being honest. And that sometimes doesn't feel great. And it goes back to the vulnerability bit. But I do think it's, you know, saying I don't know and I don't know, like 
saying I'm really sad today when I'm really sad today or whatever it is. Right. Like I think there's an aspect of, of having to decide that you're going to be more comfortable being honest than keeping it within. So I think that when people are dishonest with one another, like we're friends and you do something that upsets me and I don't tell you, I think that's sort of building a wall in between us. Sure. When someone who's finding these barriers disappear and, and they're discovering that, that authenticity, that genuineness, that, that trust, and let's say they are meeting you for the first time or taking one of your classes for the first time, how do you hope that person feels after they're, they're done with an interaction with, with you? So I always say that I really hope people come away from interactions and classes with me feeling 5% more freedom. You know, yeah. whatever that means, it's going to be different for different people, but hopefully it gives people a little space to be more themselves, be more accepting of themselves, maybe take a risk on themselves, you know, a little, just a little bit more freedom. I think that we all sort of, for a lot of good reasons, walk into the world with a lot of armor on. And it's not that we don't need that armor, but it can also be, can trap us a little bit sometimes. So I'm really hoping that I'm able to give people just a little bit more space within that. Well, 5% of the armor has come off here and um, your authenticity and the amount of liberation that, that hopefully that's providing for so many people is is really something that is quite valued. Aditi, thank you so much for joining us. What a treat to, to chat and I hope be able to revisit this at some time in the future. I hope so too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Aditi. And hope everyone finds more energy and vibrancy and power through inner stillness and peace. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandekar. Hi, namaste. I'm Siddharth Malhotra and you're listening to me on Drunkus Avenue Radio. I'm going to go to the next